healthy church is a loving church. It's a, um, a biblical church, and it's a missional church. That's what a healthy church is. And there's a lot of other things we can say, but I think they'll fit well within those three categories. A healthy church is a loving church. It's a biblical church, and it's a missional church. And we're going to talk about that today with the help of the Lord. Now, the text that we're going to read right now is our, our missional text. So um, I want you guys to do me a favor, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. I want you to do me the favor of memorizing the scripture. Think you can do it? All right, it's going to be our missional text. So I'm asking everyone in the congregation if we could make an effort just to keep this text in our hearts and in our minds. We're going to stand to read it all aloud right now, and I'll use that as my text for this morning. Let's stand to honor the word of the, the reading of the word of the Lord. And daily, read it with me out loud, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Again, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to preach and to, to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. And that's awesome. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word today. We thank you for gathering together for all of your people, for our friends that are here. Pray that your blessing would be upon our lives. We would be able to just receive the word of God with gladness, with faith, that we would be grounded and established in the things of your kingdom. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. Thank you and God bless you. So I'm starting off this new year focusing on some really basic things. And I want us to look at our, our, our vision statement uh, quickly. And then uh, we're going to review our, our, our vision statement over the next couple of weeks. Maybe I'll take about two or three weeks to be thinking about our mission, our, our vision statement. A mission statement, which is certainly something that we're always talking about, is a statement that tells us what we're supposed to be doing as a church. That's what a mission statement does. It tells us what our work is. And our mission scripture, the, 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 the mission scripture of the text of the, of the Bible is Matthew 28, 19. And then there's Mark 16 and other texts. But the primary text in the Bible that's known as the, the text that defines the mission of the church is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And we'll be talking a little bit about that text in a few moments. But when we talk about the vision statement of the church, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about two things. The mission talks to us about what, what we're supposed to be doing. A vision statement talks to us about where we're going and how we're going to get there. Well, our work is defined by the mission statement. The Bible defines that. And then our vision statement is a statement that is telling us based on what the scripture says we're supposed to be doing, here's our plan for, here's where we want to end up as a church, and here's our plan for getting there. So there's different churches that come up with different strategies and different um, 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 programs for accomplishing the mission of the church, and we have one in our local church. And, um, and then there's different churches that see themselves playing a little bit different roles in the church. And that's, that's all good. It's fine. And uh, as long as they're sticking to the mission statement, there's churches that, are, uh, that take on different and stronger characteristics about one part or another of the mission of the church than others do. And what we're going to do for ourselves is we're 
defining what our, what our vision statement is. Well, at least where we're going or what we want to be in its fullness is this. We want to be a, we want to be a healthy, growing, spirit-filled, apostolic, cellular church. That's what we're shooting for. And I think it was like three years ago we set the goal that we were going to become a cellular church. And um, that uh, we're pretty close to accomplishing that. We have until the year. Back then we defined the year 2024 for, uh, for the complete transformation of our church into a cellular church. And certainly we've been working on that. But um, the, the vision about where we want to go and what we want to what kind of a church we want to be is this. And I'll be talking about this over the next couple of weeks for you, just at the beginning of the year, just to kind of set us on the right track. We want to be healthy. We want to be growing. We want to be spirit-filled. We want to be apostolic, cellular. That's what we want to do. Those are the uh, adjectives that describe the kind of a church that we feel God has called us to be. And so we'll be defining those things as, we, uh, as the weeks roll on here in the next couple of weeks or maybe a month, maybe a month, a little bit over a month. We'll see how that works out. So today what I want to do is I want to focus on the first of those, uh, first word of that statement that we are envisioning Hosanna. Let me say this. When I say that we're envisioning that Hosanna is going to be a healthy, growing, spirit-filled, apostolic, cellular church, we're not saying that we're not that or that we're not we're not, we're unhealthy or that we're not working at cells or that we're not growing. We're not making a negative statement here. What we're doing is we're making a positive statement about where God, I feel the Lord is taking our church and where we feel we need to be in a church in order to really impact our community and to be in the will of God. And so again, the, the, the things or the words that describe how and what kind of a church you want to be is, is healthy, growing, spirit-filled, apostolic, and cellular. Those are, that, that pretty much summarizes what we are envisioning for our church. So today I'm going to kind of focus for a little while or for a few moments on uh, being a healthy church. So the message for today is going to focus on that. What is a healthy church? What does it look like? Now, I'm not going to be very inspirational today. I don't think... I'm going to be in my teaching mode. So if you, um, you know, want to take note at least of a few things that I'm saying, that's great. And, of course, we expect you all to follow along the scriptures. So I'm going to give you three characteristics of our church, I've, um, uh, of, of what I envision as a healthy church. Um, and, and here's what they are. First, we're going to start off by saying that a, a healthy church is a loving church. I think that's a really important thing. And I'll begin with that because Rick Warren, I think, was it, it was Rick Warren that says, a great commitment to the great commission and to the great commandment will grow a great church. That's what he said, and I think that's right. If we can commit ourselves to the great commandment, which is love people, and commit ourselves to the great commission, which is reach people with the gospel of Jesus, then the kingdom is going to grow. How big? That's, a, that's God's business. We're just going to fulfill our responsibility and leave the results to God. So, uh, uh, again, what we're thinking is that, and I think that what I'm talking about this morning is a great commitment to the great commandment. So that, let me read the scripture to you first. And all of you go with me to Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 31. And I want you all just to read along with me. 
Even if it appears up on the screen, which it probably will in a few moments, if it isn't already, it's really great to follow along in the Bible. And just to open your Bible and see um, the scripture there. There's some, something about that. And Jesus answered, the first of all commandments is, hear, O Israel. Did I say, what did I say? Did I say Matthew? It's Mark. <clears throat> I may have said the wrong text. Mark 12, 29 to 31. <clears throat> and Jesus said and answered him, the first of all the commandments is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our Lord, is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love the, thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, loving God and loving people is is not only a basic uh, element of our faith, but it's also descriptive of our faith. So let me say that again, that loving God and loving people is not basic. If you're a Christian, this is what you're going to focus on. It's not just a basic doctrine. In fact, you take everything that the Bible says Jesus said and you whittle it all, all down to just two things or one thing, and that is... Two things, and that is to love God and love people. And if you're a person that's loving God and loving people, then you're, you're living a Christian life, right? And so obviously, I mean, it's a little bit more complicated than that. That's why you have the rest of the 66 books. But if you're trying to get your head around what it means to be a Christian, that's what it means to be a Christian. Be a loving person. Now, I think that's really important because the commandment is saying that because we were created relational beings, we should put great emphasis on healthy relationships. That's certainly one of the big messages of that text, isn't it? That because we're relational beings, that's how God created us. He created Adam, and Adam was alone, right? But Adam wasn't alone because Adam had God, and his ability to think and to reason and to speak and to do all of those things was being used in loving God, the greatest relationship anybody will ever have in their life. God was there because, and Adam was created the way that he was created, with a heart and with ears and a mouth and all of his five senses so that he could relate to God. We are created relational beings. And because we are created relational beings, and we should give great emphasis to the relationships in our lives. The first relationship is our relationship with God. And again, of course, after some time, God brought Eve into his life. And, um, and, uh, and then there was another element to the relationships that we have, not just our relationship with God, but now our relationship to one another. And again, I think that Jesus' commandment in Mark chapter 12, 29 to 31, is highlighting this fact. We're all relational beings. And so every one of us, in order to really live the Christian life right, we have to put a great emphasis on not just being in relationships, but in having strong and good and godly relationships. Because what's, what hap what's the first thing that sin did when it came into the world? It didn't cause Adam to commit adultery. It didn't cause Adam to say a cuss word. It didn't send Adam out into the streets to drink and to do all the kinds of stuff that we associate 
sin with. The first thing that happened as a consequence of sin was damaged relationships. It was, where are you, God? And it was man saying, it's this woman that you gave me that caused me to sin. Damaged relationship. It's one of the greatest evidences of sin in our lives. Damaged relationships. We don't like someone. We can't talk with someone. We, we, we got our distance. We've been hurt by someone. There's something in our lives and, and, and that is damaging or giving evidence of our relationships. And so when Jesus Christ said this, when he said, hey, listen, the greatest commandment is love God. And the second one is just like it, love others. Here's what he was saying, I think. That because I've made you relational beings, because relationships are going to be the, the thing, the one thing, the things that bring you the greatest satisfaction and sense of fulfillment in life, then give great importance to relationships. Well, not every Christian is like that. There's some Christians that give great importance to doctrine, and, and I'm not against that. And they give great importance to prayer, and they give great importance to fasting, and they give great importance to, to modesty and other things. And that's, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying all of that is good. But they'll do all of that and not really give great importance to relationships. The relationships are messed up, but they pray a lot. The relationships are messed up, but they evangelize a lot. The relationships are messed up, but they're really submissive to pastor and to the leadership of the church. And Jesus is saying, that's not the starting point. The starting point of a healthy Christian life and the place from which a church launches itself to see how are we doing spiritually is test your relationships. How are they doing? How's your relationship with your wife, with your brother, with your sister, with your, with your friends, with your friends at work, whatever? How are your relationships? And so I think that's really important. A great commitment to the great commandment will grow a great Christian. It's the truth. And so as we commit ourselves as a church to this year and the work that all of this year has for us, we have to ask ourselves, then, how are we doing as far as loving God is concerned? We have to be a loving church. And how are we doing as far as loving other people is concerned? So let me just give you some practical things about what it means to love God. First, there's two things there. Number one, I think that when we love God, we make this commitment. I will intentionally put God first above anyone or anything. God is number one. That doesn't mean you, you don't give attention to the rest. I think I, I, the, the things that I just said before make that point. But God is number one. Everyone say God is number one. And then number two, how do you know that you're loving God is you obey his commandments. Say commandments. We obey his commandments. Well, what commandments? All of his commandments. You say the Old Testament, New Testament, all of his commandments. I mean, I mean. That, ex that requires a little bit of elaboration, but in our minds, here's what we should say. I'm going to obey all of God's commandments. Say amen. Jesus said this in Mark, in John chapter 14, verse 15. And you guys will know the text. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. So Jesus said, here's how you guys love me. It's kind of like, if you love me, you keep my word. You keep my commandments. And, and, and it has to be not, 
not just part of the commandments. In fact, I'm not going to do it now. But if you were to go back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, what you will find is here, all of the commandments have been given to the people of Israel. And then Moses is speaking to the people and saying, listen, if you will give heed and attention to all of my commandments, every one of them, then guess what I'm going to do for you? He gives them 15 things, blessings, 15 verses of blessings that he's going to send upon them. And I'm going to bless your cattle. I'm going to bless your land. And I'm going to make you fruitful. And you're going to have a lot of children. And you're going to do this and the other. And everything is going to go well. And I'm going to hold back your enemies. And man, I said, okay, that's great. And then, and then he says, but if you don't keep my commandments to do them as I've commanded, then he gives 31 verses that speak about terrible things that are going to come into the life of an individual. And here's, I think, the point. Not that you get more evil than you do get good if you do, you know, not that God isn't going to reward you as much in if you do righteousness as evil will reward you in if you do evil, as the devil will reward you if you do evil, or God will hold back his blessings if you do evil. But I think that the point is this. If you do what is right and keep all of God's commandments, expect to be blessed. Amen. Expect things to go well. Amen. Expect your life to prosper. Amen. Expect to do well at work and at home and in your families and everything else. And let me tell you this. You know, if you go to work and you're, 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 you're a decent person, you work, you, you're responsible, Maybe the reason that you're not prospering is because you haven't put enough emphasis on relationships. And, and what God is saying in all of these commandments is, listen, be intentional about loving God and be intentional about loving people. And if you will keep God's commandments, all of his commandments, he's going to bless you. Now, I was reading during my devotional time this last week, and I remember exactly, I think it's Isaiah 28 or something like that, where... Um, the Bible is speaking about uh, Israel and a time in Israel. No, it's in, in, in Chronicles. A time in one of the kings of Israel where, where, um, where the Bible describes it this way. He says, and the children of Israel um, feared the Lord and they served other gods. And I was thinking, man, that's, that's weird. You know, they feared the Lord because fear of the Lord is something specific. And they also served other gods. And what it, was, what it was describing very, very clearly was this, that it's possible to serve God, but not with all of your heart. And it's possible to love God, but to do it partially. It's, it's possible to love God and love other things just as much as you love God. And man, that really, you know, made me begin to examine my heart and my mind because I was asking myself, okay, where, what areas are there in your life where you're not just... Loving God, you're loving other things as much or, or equally as you love God. And so I think the commandment is very clear. For the year 2023, our church has to be intentional about loving God before anyone or anything else. And we also be intentional about obeying all of his commandments. Say all of his commandments. You know why that's important? The commitment to obey all of his commandments because it keeps self unchecked. Or in check, whichever is the proper way to say that. The, the, the commitment to obey all of God's commandment keeps self in check. And if you, if you don't make that all-out commitment, I'm going to obey all of your commandments. As much as it hurts, 
as much as it, 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 uh, it makes me feel uneasy because I know I'm not being faithful and obeying these commandments because my marriage is not good, because my husband is not nice, because my work boss is terrible, because I deserve more than they've given me. You come up with the reasons that you have for justifying whatever commandment you're not obeying. And as uncomfortable as that makes me feel in whatever area of my life, I go to the scriptures and God says, if you love me, you'll keep all of my commandments. And what that forces me to do is to struggle in the area that I'm struggling to obey God and the area in which I'm struggling to love like he asked me to love and to obey him like he's asking me to obey. And I'll always find myself in that struggle that is essential to advancing in the kingdom of God and to becoming more like Jesus Christ. How many of you know that struggle? Man, for, for, for many years now, 40-something years, I've been in that struggle. Trying to be like Jesus and I've got this thing to work on. And trying to be like Jesus and I get mad because of this. And trying to be like Jesus and I've got this character flaw over here. And trying to be like Jesus and this temptation comes into my life here. The whole life, I'm not saying that I've been leading a defeated Christian life. But I'm saying it's been a struggle. And through it all, God has given us victory after victory after victory. And when we have fallen, we've gotten right back up and we keep going forward. So listen, guys, we love God. Everyone say, love God. The second thing we're going to do this year is we're going to love people. And let me tell you how that works out. It means you're just kind to people. Kindness is way underrated. Just be nice. Just be nice. Be kind. You know, if, if some of us would just begin being kind to our spouse, our marriage would get better. Just be kind. If you were just being kind to your associate at work or to your neighbor or your, or your, your brother, your sister, whoever, if you would just begin to be kind. I'm not saying to hug them and kiss them and, 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 to, and you know, just uh, lavish them with attention. I'm just saying be nice. It's Christian love. And so just be kind. Here's another suggestion. Be respectful of others. You don't have to fight with everyone because they got crazy belief systems. You don't have to fight with everyone because they dress weird and, and they look weird and they talk different and, and they're confused in whatever area of their lives. Just be respectful. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to say, hey, I'm with you. You know, dude, you look really good. I like the way you think. You don't have to do none of that. Just, I mean, just be respectful. Hear them out. And if, if, if you got to speak up, you speak up for the truth. But be respectful of other people. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Well, there's some here that are fighters, man. Can't nobody tell you nothing that's a little bit different because you bring out your, your, your machete. You're going at it, man. You, you don't hold back. Here's a, the other way, guys, that we, that we love one another. We serve. And so this church has many avenues and ways for you to serve. There's a children's ministry, a junior's ministry, there's ushers, there's musicians, there's technicians. There's a bunch of people that are serving here in different areas. There's cell group leaders, there's, there's people that open their homes, and there's all kinds of service that's going on in the church every day of this week. And so I would encourage you, if you're not committed to serving in the church yet, that this be a year where you say, I'm, I'm going to take that step. I'm going to love God, and I'm going to love others. Serving is not about you, serving is about others. So let's serve. That's the first thing. A healthy church is a loving church. Everyone say a loving church. 
the next thing that I want you to see is that a healthy church is a biblical church. And I'm going to, you guys know me, I'm a doctrinal guy, so I love doctrine, and it's a big deal with me. So let me just say this. The Bible, here's what we mean, here's what I mean by that the Bible is, the, the healthy church is a biblical church. What I mean is this, that the Bible is the foundation of our beliefs and practices. Yeah. Say it again. That the Bible is at the foundation, is at the core of our practices and our beliefs. Look at, listen to Timothy now. He says this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof and for correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now what's the Bible saying here? Out of all of the things that it's saying, I just want to highlight one word. That the scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Everyone say doctrine. That's what I want to focus on. Well, what is doctrine, Pastor Salazar? Well, doctrine is this. It's, doctrine is teaching. And when we think about doctrine in a more, more church kind of like thing, we're talking about a summary of what the Bible teaches about the most important issues in life. About God, about man, about our nature, about sin, about all of those very, very huge important issues. Well, what, 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 what are those called? Those teachings in the Bible are called doctrine. And so where do we get our teaching? Well, we don't get our teaching from pastor. Pastor teaches, but we don't get our teaching from him. We don't get it from the bishops. We don't get it from the general board of our assembly. We don't get it from some hierarchical structure. We get our teaching from the Bible. And if the hierarchy ever goes askew, or the pastor ever goes uh, to, uh, on some errant doctrine, or some, you just leave this church and find another one. Because we've stopped being a doctrinal church. Doctrine is important. Say amen. amen. Doctrine is hugely important. And so... It's a summary of the teachings of Christ regarding what the Bible teaches about the most important things. Let me give you a couple of texts. You guys can just review those with me as, as I mentioned. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Open your Bibles there quickly. Then I want you to hear these texts. And again, it's a summary. They're just texts that are talking about doctrine. Here's what it says. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin... But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Now that's important because here's what I'm seeing in this scripture. First of all, what I see in this scripture, number one is this. That the absence of doctrine or doctrinal error results in slavery to sin. That's huge. Read it. But God be thanked that you were servants. That word servants. Is, is literally the word slaves. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered to you. So the first thing I find is this. If you have no doctrine, if there's no doctrinal emphasis, if you don't have a set order of commandments and rules that God has given you to live by, then the natural result is that sin arises like a slave master and he takes control of your life. That's what the Bible says. And so what I find here is that the absence of doctrine or, listen to this, doctrinal error 
Either one of those two results in slavery to sin. You know why? Because doctrine was not just meant to be believed. Doctrine was meant to be lived. See? Say, well, I believe. I'm glad you believe, but I think it's Jordan Peterson says this, and he's a social commentator, maybe a Christian, maybe not, I don't know, but he says this. He says, you don't really believe something until you live it, and you have no right to say that you believe it until you're living it. I think that's right, right? And so what we're talking about here today is this, the absence of a structured teaching, biblical teaching, results in slavery to sin because the absence of that, just do whatever you want, whatever feels good, whatever looks right to you, is going to result in everybody heading their own way and being directed by their passions and their desires to sin and destruction. So here's the second thing, and I already said it, but I'll mention it again uh, from this text. Doctrine is not just to be believed, it's to be obeyed. So doctrine is to be obeyed, not just obeyed, okay, I From the heart. In other words, you have to really believe it. You have to really make it a part of your life. You know, if all of Christianity changed tomorrow. And they said, you know what? A little bit of adultery is okay. For, for us that know the Bible, it wouldn't matter. If the whole nation and all of Christianity turned away from God and said, as long as you love God, he's the main God, we're good. You can have other little gods there, and that's, that, that, you, know, you know, it's the way it is. We would, we would reject that teaching outright because we are directed, again, we are obeying not because we have to obey these commandments. Listen to me. I'm not an apostolic because I have to be apostolic. I don't believe in the doctrines that the Bible teaches and the church teaches because I have to believe them. I believe them from the heart. These doctrines have convinced me. They've convicted me. They've persuaded me so that I believe from the heart. A biblical, a healthy church is a biblical church. We believe what the Bible says. And look at 1 Timothy 4.16. It says this. Take heed to yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. And for in doing this, thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. So here's what I, I get from this text. See, look at your text while I say this. See if it's not there. We're supposed to give great attention to doctrine. Doctrine matters. So you're a member of this church. I hope that what you have done in choosing to be a member of this church is examine the doctrines of the church because doctrine matters. You're a member of X church. I don't care what the name of the church is. Hey, listen. I hope that what you're doing is not just saying, I like the church. I hope that what you're doing is you're looking at the doctrines of the church because doctrine matters. And so he says, take heed, give great attention to yourself and to the teachings and to the doctrine. And so the second thing that I see from this is this, that doctrine, and, and obviously Jesus saves us, Doctrine saves us. What does that mean? I mean, you could think that Jesus Christ was just a man, not God. That's a teaching in Christianity in some circles. He's just a man. He wasn't God in any sense. He's not 
study the scriptures, you have to give great attention to the scriptures because what you believe about Jesus determines your salvation. And if you believe wrong things about Jesus, um, like other denominations do, they're not helping you to be saved and you're not going to be saved. Doctrine makes a difference. Let's read it again. Now I beseech you, brethren, excuse me, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save thyself and them that hear you. Doctrine's important. Look at your neighbor and tell him doctrine's important. It is important. Now Romans chapter 16 verse 17. And I'll, I'll get on with this here. Now I beseech you, read it out loud with me if you will please. Now I beseech you brethren... Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. So false doctrine, listen to this, is going to end in division because doctrine in and of itself, as I've stated, demands action. It requires for us to do something. And so false doctrine is going to end in division. You're in the church and the church is doing well. We believe what, about Jesus and the gospel, what we believe. And we're living the best that we can for God. Then somebody else comes in and starts teaching a false teaching about Jesus Christ. And then, you know what that causes? It's always going to cause division if it isn't corrected. You know why? Because those individuals are going to get persuaded about something different that demands that they now separate themselves from those that they now perceived to be teaching a false doctrine. False doctrine always ends in division. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. So the doctrine is supposed to unify us. Do you see that in the scripture? The doctrine is supposed to unify us, but what happens when those come and they teach contrary doctrines? It divides us. Doctrine unifies us. That's one of the purposes of doctrine. Doctrine unifies us. We are apostolic. Or we are Christians, we believe in Jesus, we believe in the gospel, we believe in baptism, we believe doctrine unifies us, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, doctrine unifies us, other teachings, false teachings divide us. And you know where Christianity is today to a great degree, is it's divided up. All kinds of denominations and sections within, even within denominationalism. People are divided up, and, and churches are divided, denominations are divided, and they're all divided around doctrine, the, around the issue of what is the church teaching. Teaching's huge. And so doctrine is absolutely essential. You say, well then, how are we going to decide what's right and what's not about our doctrine, this book? If I teach a certain thing about baptism, and this book does not teach that about baptism. It matters. Amen. If I teach something about believing in God and how you believe in God and how works play into that salvation thing and I got it wrong, it matters. Amen. Doctrine, false doctrine divides. Solid, right doctrine unites. And let me just say this. 
don't ever divide or separate yourself from right doctrine. Don't ever compromise right doctrine for nothing else. Now I want you to notice that these scriptures aren't talking about, in fact, the New Testament doesn't talk about great music and great worship. It doesn't talk about great organization and great programs. It doesn't talk about beautiful buildings. It doesn't talk about the things that a lot of Christians that are looking for comfort look for. It's talking about the essential things that keep you saved and keep you living right and keep you living a righteous life. Those things are huge in the, in the eyes and in the presence of the Lord. So give attention to doctrine. Now, let me give you one last text before I go on to my next point. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Here's what it says. And you'll all read it with me out loud. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you has a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto what? Unto edifying. So, again, what the Bible is saying here is that there needs to be uniformity when it comes to doctrine. Say amen. There needs to be uniformity when it comes to what we believe as Christians and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, what I'm saying is this, that a biblical church is a church whose beliefs and practices are based on the Bible. Now, there are a lot of Christians and churches that have unbiblical beliefs. I won't name them here. I don't care to do it. Unbiblical beliefs are held because of a lot of different reasons. Because they're simply ignorance, because of tradition, because of faithlessness, because of sin. There's a lot of reasons that people hold bad religion or bad beliefs. What the Bible does, and that's why it's important to be a biblical church, what the Bible does is it sets a, a line that you measure everything that you believe by. And you know where we're to run? We're to run to righteous and upright doctrine. So let me give you guys an exhortation here, right? So here's the point. Healthy Christians are Christians that study the Bible. They don't just go to Hosanna Apostolic Church because, hey, I like the way the pastor preaches or they got good music or whatever. You don't just come here because you may be coming here because of that right now. But to you, I'm challenging you. Study what we believe. Study what the Bible teaches. And so what I'm saying is this, that there's a lot of Christians that, yeah, they have unbiblical beliefs. Tell me if that's not true or if it is true. They have unbiblical beliefs. They're doing things that are not righteous. They're not holy. They're not pleasing God. And they excuse it all because they, they think they can get away with it and still be saved. They think they can do it and still be all right, you know, not go to hell. Right. You can shove a bunch of stuff in there that isn't going to take you to hell individually. But the attitude eventually will will dominate your soul. And the attitude that this is okay, I won't go to hell for this and the other and here and the other, and I'm only going to obey some of God's commandments but not all of God's commandments, that attitude in and of itself will cumulatively be a burden on your heart and, and stray you away from the things of God so that you may one day find yourself void and empty as a Christian. Unbiblical beliefs are held because either 
faithlessness or ignorance or because of sin. I just don't want to change. Okay. Right, that's between you and God. So the Bible corrects all of those things. Now, there's an old saying that if your Bible is falling apart from use, there's probably a good chance that your life isn't. Pretty good, huh? If I could come up with those kinds of quotes, I'd be on Facebook all the time. If, if you have an old ragged Bible and you're always reading it and it's all highlighted and you, like, that thing just looks all messed up. Mine's just kind of new looking, but I do study. Um, if you have one of those Bibles, your Bible's falling apart from use, it's, it's probably true that you're doing all right spiritually. Examine the doctrines of the church. See, what we, we, we are a biblical church. Say amen. I believe that. We are a biblical church. And if you ever have any questions about our doctrines, our teachings, you come talk to the elders of the church, and we'll have answers for you. The last thing that I'll say is this, that a healthy church is a missional church. And, um, and let me back down here and say the following, that it isn't enough just to be one of these three things. You have to be all three things. You have to be working on all three things. You can't just say, well, we're a loving church. We don't care much about doctrine and, and, uh, and, and the mission. No, you have to really put an emphasis on these three things. We're not just a doctrinal church. We're not just a loving church. We're also a missional church. And what I mean by a missional church is that the mission that Jesus Christ gave the church is at the center of the activity of our congregation. Let me stop there for a sec. Excuse me. The, the, uh, the mission of the church is at the very center of the church. Now look at M Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Here's what it says. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Well, how seriously did the Christians of the apostolic church take that? Well, let me tell you how seriously they take that. In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, here's how it describes their behavior. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to preach, to teach, and to preach Jesus Christ. Say every day. What does that scripture mean? It means that the reason that we see the church in the book of Acts growing the way that they do is because they've got a total commitment to the mission. <clears throat> and what, what was the mission of the church? What was their strategy? They'd go to the temple and they would preach, and they'd go to the houses and they would teach. And every day, say every day, they were either in the temple or they were in the houses, but they were taken by Jesus. You know the only people that really do that are the people, well, that's not true, but you know the people that do that consistently are the people that their heart belongs to him. They love him. Because all of this is going to, excuse me, because all of this is going to take sacrifice. It's going to take setting aside our schedules. But this apostolic church was totally committed to what Jesus told them to do. Go and preach and make disciples. Teach. Now, let me just say this, that the commitment of the church was 
not only in good days, but in untimeliness also. Because, look, guys, if the church has been given a mission that it has, that a mission is to preach the gospel and bring people into discipleship, Jesus has given us all these things. God has given us that, and he has, then to do that is going to require sacrifice. Sacrifice your time, giving of your talents, and all kinds of other stuff. Everyone here that's involved in small groups know that it takes time and it takes sacrifice. No question. There's no getting around it. The, the people that have their home open and they give their secret letters and they make up the house and tidy up and dust it, everything is work. Bring them over that home, furniture over there, that stuff, everything is work. The, the leader of the study is going to study for the study. He's going to organize himself so that everyone is participating. He's going to follow up with people to get stuff. It's all work. And so whenever Jesus gives us a mission this big, we have to know that the commitment is a big commitment. And it's going to require sacrifice. Everyone says sacrifice. Everything that is good in life requires some form of sacrifice. You go talk to the parents of any one of these people. What a parent. You don't mind their love and their compassion. In other words, praise that they do for you. Give you so much. Praise to the level that you do that. And so what I'm saying is this, look, when Jesus told them, this is your commission, teach, baptize, make disciples, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. But even when it was inconvenient, and when they could have come up with a lot of reasons why we can't do it now, we were doing it then, but it's hard to do it now, they continued to do it. Acts chapter 8, verses 3 to 4 says this. Just listen. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committing them to prison. That's hard. <laughs> well, you would think that's a reason. Okay, look. Look, when, when I had my house, I could do it. When, when my neighbors all liked me, I, I, I'm working at work, and I've got a family. I've got little children. I've got groceries. I've got movies. I've got um, uh, one thing and another that I've got to do. I've got, I, I, I come up with a, a, a hundred reasons why not to commit, because it's an untimely time. But when the Bible says that when Saul came in and made havoc of the church, and he was committing them to prison, here's verse 4. It's so important. It says, therefore... They that were scattered abroad, they ran everywhere, went everywhere preaching the word. Isn't that incredible? This is the kind of commitment that the church had to the mission. Everyone was involved. And in good times and in bad times, wherever they were, if they had a nice home or they had a dinky little apartment, if it was kind of convenient to do it because all of the facilities were there, 
or there were no facilities, somehow or another, the church was so committed to preaching that even when they were scattered, they did it. A call to the church to make disciples of every nation is a huge call. Our mission is that. It's to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask and challenge every member of our church this year to engage in the mission. Look at your neighbor and just tell them, build the church. It's time to build the church. Amen? It's time to build the church. Now, here, let me give you some possibilities, okay? Because we also have small groups. We meet in our homes during the week in small groups. So here's some possibilities. Everyone listen to pastor now. This is important. All of it was important, but this is important, right? So what are the possibilities for my engaging in the mission? Well, do personal evangelism, one, right? Here's another one. Join a life group. Here's another one. Offer your home. Say, you know what? I got it. My apartment's little, but you know what? Come to my house. I'd love to receive five or six brothers just to have a life group in my house, my apartment. He said, but I got a dinky, dinky, winky, little, little apartment. Hey, you know, it doesn't matter. You can squeeze five or six or seven people in there and have, have a Bible study. Well, you know that we have a plan, right? And our plan is for small groups, for life groups, is that the leaders come on Monday, and then they get training and motivation and, and all that kind of stuff in order. And then they have their Bible study, and then they follow up with people. The leaders are really busy. And you say, well, pastor, I don't have time for all of that stuff. I've got a busy schedule. I'm going to school. I've got, I've got a lot of things to do. Let me give you another suggestion outside of the system. Why don't you start a family Bible study and just invite your friends? Can't do it on Wednesday? Do it on Thursday. This Thursday's bad? Do it on Friday. This Friday's not going to work? Do it on Monday. But the point is this for every one of us. Regardless of whether... Your family is able or you are able to commit to the rigors of life, of the life group structure. We're still responsible to God for the mission. Is that true or is that not true? So, you know, if you say, well, well Pastor, if you started on Tuesday, our Bible study, our leaders will let us change it from one day to the other. Well, then go to a real church. Make it a home church. You know what it says? Brother Carlos and Brother Sister Mata and, 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 and Sister Mata's mom and, and one or two of their brothers, that's it. But they're having a home Bible study. And then, you know what? Let's go invite our neighbor. I'm at work. You know what? I'm going to invite my co-labor to come to my small group. You're still fulfilling the mission. You see, when you get to heaven, Jesus is not going to ask you, did you do the strategy of Jesus? What he is going to ask you is, did you evangelize and disciple? And if your answer is no, because my schedule didn't fit the strategy, he's going to ask again, but did you disciple and evangelize? Because that's not optional. So a healthy church is not just a loving church, and it's not just a biblical church, but it's a missional church. And we're on mission, guys. So I'm encouraging everyone this year, sign up. If you can't sign up in the program because of your schedule, your work, whatever, then you sign up with your wife or you with another friend and start having Bible studies wherever you can have them. 
you and him, you, you and her. And then invite your friends to the study and just share Jesus. <laughs> Let's stand. I'll end by telling you guys this, that discipleship is, not a, is about having a heart for people and a desire to see them grow. It's about purpose and passion. And this is what the Lord's calling us to. Year 2023, purpose and passion. He's asking us to love people, love them enough that we'll, we'll fit them in our schedules and we'll invite them to our homes or we'll invite them to our small group that meets on Saturdays at Fantastic's Cafe for an hour and a half or an hour to have coffee and bacon and eggs and hash browns and a chili pepper and Bible study. That sounds good, right? Right. But you're not there by yourself. You're, you're inviting your friends. You care about people. So I'm asking, uh, well, uh, this is what I see, guys, as a healthy church. And I think it's right. I think it's, it's correct. And so I don't know what the area is in your life where you can pick it up a little bit this, this year. But I'm asking you all to do it. Let's commit to growing a great church. Let's commit to seeing Hosanna Apostolic Church be a healthy, growing, spirit-filled, apostolic, cellular church. What do you think? Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And we realize that at the beginning of the year, it's always about making a commitment and, and refocusing and, 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 and getting motivated just for the work that's in front of us this year. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless your people, every one of us if, if, that are here, that, that just we're looking to this year and we're saying, okay, God, I'm recommitting, I'm refocusing and I pray that this church, as far as its health is concerned, will look at three things. We want to be able to love you and love people. We want to be biblical in the things that we do and the, the way that we live. And we want to be missional. We want to be reaching out and, and caring about the eternal salvation that you offer eternal souls. Thank you for your goodness, for your kindness. Thank you for being in this place and receiving your word. So I pray right now for our friends that are visiting us here today. Certainly there's someone here that has not yet committed their lives to you. Certainly there's someone that has not yet surrendered their heart and, and, and confessed you as Lord and Savior. So Father, I pray right now as we open up this opportunity that someone in this place would say, Jesus is the person that I need in my heart, in my life to wash away my sins, to set me on the highway of holiness. Bless that person as he opens his mouth, as she opens her mouth, and she or he says, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I commit myself to living a Christian life. If you'll help me. Would you fill them with your spirit? Would you bless them? as they search out your goodness and your favor and your mercies. In Jesus' holy name, we thank you.
thank you for the cross. Everyone says amen. I don't know about you guys, but I feel the Holy Spirit in this place. I really do. I feel a wonderful spirit here. And so, as the, um, as the praise team and the musicians lead us in worship, I'm going to open this altar. Anyone that would like to come to this altar, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. Anybody need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You come. We'll pray for you. Anybody needs healing in their body? The ministers are here. We'll pray for you. If anybody just wants to come and just connect with God, you come and let's just connect with God. You need a Savior. You come, Jesus. God has been so good to us. We are grateful.